You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. Welcome to another episode of The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. I am Large William. Across the border from me is my man, my partner in crime and slime and podcasting time, Sammy. Yes, on the phone again, yes. Yeah, we just um, we haven't been able to uh, to jive with our, our Sunday early Sunday morning schedules much lately, but you know, life gets in the way of living, as they say, so... We've yeah, the got. weather's not helping. You know, the weather, like we always say, the weather gets nicer, so you end up doing more outdoor activities or you're gone for the weekend. So it gets tough. It gets tough. Yeah, it absolutely does. You know, and yeah, then everything starts happening. You get out more, family that you got to go see more wants to get out more and have more events. And, you know, things happen. So thankfully, with technology being what it is, it allows us to record in ways that uh, weren't quite possible before, never mind the fact that we're. Two people recording in two different countries, as you all know. <laughs> yes. um, so this week's show is uh, very generously sponsored by Arrow Video, who you know we've been very pleased, uh, as we've said often said, um, to become affiliated with them in, a, in an official capacity. Simply because we've always, even before any sort of sponsorship, uh, considered them to be you know doing Criterion type work um, for a lot of genre film, putting a lot of love and care into things. And this week. We don't normally, as, as most of you have been listening, haven't realized, or if you don't realize, you realize when, I, when we say this, we typically don't program in a way that um, is conducive to sort of uh, themes on the surface or, or discovery of any sort of intentional themes or um, choices. Uh, but this week, it just so happened that with uh, Arrow releasing Yasuharu Asebe's Massacre Gun and Retaliation uh, within a month or so of each other, we had gotten both of these, and uh, we figured it would be a good time and a natural fit to cover these two films. Uh, of course, um, as we'll get to in our review, one is from 1967 and one is from 1968, which um, it's fascinating you know, to talk about um, how different they feel despite only being a year apart. Yes. So we'll get to that. But um, otherwise, uh, Sammy, what have you been watching this week? 
Well, it's been another week of uh, mostly documentary watching and stuff. It's been pretty busy, so like you know, I usually watch a lot of docs when I'm busy. And this is uh, I got like one fictional film in, but oddly, it was a uh, mockumentary. So there, so it seems like I can't escape the world of documentary even when I don't <laughs> want to. Uh, I watched uh, Which Way Is the Front Line from Here? The Life and Time of Tim Heatherington. It's a hard name to say, Heatherington. Heatherington. And right. uh, this is about a war journalist. Uh, uh, Tim Hetherington. He was. Uh, he covered some stuff in uh, Liberia. He covered some stuff in uh, Afghanistan and uh, several other places. He was uh, with uh, Sebastian Younger uh, when they did the Restrepo documentary. He was part of the camera oh, wow. for that. Uh, he sadly, uh, you know, passed away in an explosion on uh, in Libya. The oh. last bit of stuff he was working on. And he was trying to get out of the business. It's a very tough business, war journalism, because you have to be objective. Pretty tough to be objective when, you know, kids are getting shot and people are getting blown to bits and everything else. It can be tough, and you got to be, you know, it takes a special person to be that objective. Some would argue even more human in some ways, but it's it's tough. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to do it for a living. No, nor would I. The natural inclination is to step in or intervene when you see something terrible happening but yeah and he did uh, a couple times but uh, most of the time he did not and obviously you know it's, it's a war you know you're there to document it. you're not there to take sides or whatever um so a complicated role to begin with so i was kind of fascinated by what goes through a person's mind like that and stuff it's pretty it's pretty good it's a great story uh the film is is well done it's not great but it's uh you know i think it gave it four out of five stars on letterbox it's a good film it's Again, his story is really interesting, and you could tell that he was getting ready to head into a different phase of his life where he wanted to get out of that and stuff. But, you know, the, the job called him back one more time, so it's one of those type of deals. And it uh, didn't work out quite so well for him. So, But good story. That's on HBO Go or HBO Now for those who have it. So is this other one I watched, Manhunt, the inside story of the hunt for bin Laden. I meant to watch this a long time ago. Uh, this is basically some of the stuff that uh, Zero Dark Thirty was based on. A lot of the analysts and stuff like that, and it's pretty interesting uh, that you know the analysts were warning about Bin Laden almost uh, you know like 15 or 20 years before anything went down, and nobody was listening. So uh, interesting stuff when you think about it in that case, because analyzation can be depending on what somebody's political motives might be. It can be great news, or it can be ah, uh, you know what, that's not a big deal. Interpretation, gonna, subjectiveness. Yeah, yeah that can that's not going to get me in office. So anyway, uh, pretty fascinating stuff, um, and interesting how they, you know, eventually figured it out and stuff. And of course, if you've seen Zero Dark Thirty, you know some of this stuff. So there won't be a whole lot of new data there, but it is fascinating uh, to say the least. Uh, watched uh, Southern Rights. This is a documentary about a small town in Georgia. Can't remember the name of the town. I know the county's Montgomery County, real small, uh, still very much wrapped up in the racial divide in a lot of ways. Um, as a matter of fact, until like, uh, I think 2008 or 2009, they still had a white prom and a black prom. So, uh, you know, pretty small town, you can imagine. <laughs> Way down in the south. Oh, yeah. And uh, off the beaten path, to say the least. But, they, you know, they started integrating that and stuff. And this is a story about, you know, a murder that happened. And it, when it starts out, you think it's going to go one way, and then you find out some pretty fascinating stuff. And it's really kind of an interesting look into, you know, small town America. Uh, a look that a lot of people don't get to see. 
So it's worth a watch. I definitely recommend people check it out. Sounds and that's Rights with the R I T E S. Again, that's uh, that, that's on HBO. All these so far, all three of these have been on HBO Go or HBO Now. If you, if you have access to that, so just to give you guys a heads up, I watched uh, What We Do in the Shadows, which is the New Zealand-based mockumentary of uh, vampires. This has good performances in it, but I didn't like the I didn't really like the story of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the way the vampires <laughs> were portrayed. Uh, one of them is a quote-unquote dandy from the Middle Ages. Or, oh gosh. From, yeah, so he's very much a dandy. Uh, you got another one that's kind of like uh, Vlad the Impaler type, uh, played by Jermaine Clements, who uh, was one of the Concords, Fly the Concords guys, and used to do Outback commercials here in the States quite a bit. Uh, he's really good. I wish there was more of him in it. And uh, then you got you know some other guys that are, you know, they're all caught in their time and stuff. And there's some really good ideas here, but and some of the stuff is really funny. The werewolf stuff is is really funny. As a matter of fact, I, I think the werewolf stuff in it is so funny that it probably should have been based on the werewolves and not the uh, vampires. Um, it's good, but I mean, you got to be in the mood for this kind of thing. It's, you know, it's pretty silly and, and kind of, and kind of goofy in a lot of ways, but the performances are good. And I wish, uh, I wish that uh, they would have had a better through line for the story. I just, I couldn't get into the story of it very much. Too many sort of, um, little snapshot situational kind of humorous moments with the vampires. It's not strung together. uh, Yeah. Too much of that, but also too much of. Like, there's some moments that feel like, you know, the, the kind of creeping in of reality television. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of affected mockumentary filmmaking. Yeah, and the whole office style of filming. Yeah, 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 and talking to the camera and stuff. And it's starting to feel, you know, reality television and self-aware television have kind of creeped their way into a lot of this mockumentary filmmaking. And it can be okay sometimes, but this one, it really kind of drives it over the top. And, again, I like some of the characters and stuff, and, and I like the idea just didn't really care for the execution as much as I would have liked. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think I gave it like a three out of five on, you know, it's a little bit above average, but not so great. Uh, the only other thing I watched was, uh, I know some people really love it. I should say that. So I think it's one of those films you're going to fall down on either, you know, not you so much, but anybody that's listening to this, uh, you either love it or you hate it. Uh, you might not fall where I fall, which is I can see what they're going for. Not saying I'm unique, but I'm just saying, you know, I can see what they're going for. I just don't feel like they, they made it, and I think some people are going to be really upset by that, and then some people are really going to be in love with that. So it's funny, you know, that was one that a lot of people in our community were really tracking when it came time to cram, and it was just it was one that I'm very indifferent or lukewarm to. Mm-hmm. Um, I may get around to it at some point, but it would have to be one of those things where you'd have to give it a glowing review for me to really, yeah, want to yeah. see it sooner. You know, I, I admire Flight of the Concords, uh, you know, Clement and the other guy I can't recall his name, but you know, and I I don't know, I just. It didn't appeal to me. Not to say I thought it was going to be bad, but very yeah. lukewarm on on what they were doing. It just didn't overly entice me. And mm-hmm. I can't say that um, I would probably, based on what you said, feel any better than you did on it. Yeah. I think you'd probably fall in the same spot. Yeah. I think you'd probably like some of the performances and some of the ideas. And I think you would actually think the werewolves are funny. Uh, but I do think that it it just the story doesn't work for me. Again, I know a lot of people love it, so, you know. But, you know, again, it's subjective. We all say that. Uh, the only other thing I watched, I watched it earlier today, the other one, the uh, Long Strange Trip of Bob Weir. Bob Weir is the rhythm guitarist for Grateful Dead, but in a lot of ways, he's, you know, he was there from the beginning with Jerry Garcia. Jerry Garcia kind of became the face of the Grateful Dead. Uh, you know, he had a very recognizable look, right, with the big hair and the beard and the sunglasses and the kind of cherubic kind of, you know, heavy set guy and 
and all these things. He kind of became the poster child for the Grateful Dead. But Bob Weir's been there since the beginning, and they were best friends. And, uh, you know, he's still around and stuff. And I, I'm not a fan of the Grateful Dead. I should say that forthright. I'm not a fan at all of the Grateful Dead. I admire them for some of the things they've done, but I'm not a I'm not a big fan of the music Same. at all. Um, but uh, this is a fascinating story. Not a great film. I think for fans of the dead, it's probably better than for non-fans. But I did really like the the kind of angle they took of Bob Weir and Jerry Garcia's relationship, very much this father slash brother relationship. And when Jerry passed away, you know, Bob was pretty pretty devastated by it, obviously. And uh, so that that's interesting. And there's some pretty sad stuff in there, and some pretty enlightening stuff in there. I do like Bob Weir's outlook on life. He says that you know you should always be looking for something. Always looking for a new adventure. So uh, I do like that because, I mean, so many of us, sadly, either we can't look for new adventures or we won't. So, you know, it's, it, it must That's be great to be in. The, yeah, it must be great to be in a position where you can pursue those things. Right. So. Mm-hmm. So it's good. It's on Netflix. It just popped up there a couple of days ago. I think, like I said, I think fans of the dead will get a lot more out of it. But uh, it was it was good. It was good stuff. That's all I watch. Nice. Uh, my week uh, was decent. Um, started the week trying to watch Bullet in the Head, and both the wife and I passed out. We were exhausted. We're old. Um, <laughs> so we just passed out about 15, 20 minutes in. And Jimmy just, Bobo. I didn't get to see the Jimmy Bobo thereby, but we'll go back to it, definitely. <laughs> and I am a, I'm a big fan of Sun King. I need my fix from him now that he's not in the... A certain series of films anymore, so spoiler. I still, I still think people, I think people shit on that more than they should have. I still think it's a fun movie. Yeah, I mean Walter Hill, Slice on the Cast was fun from what I'd seen, so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll definitely check it out. Um, maybe this week, hopefully. Sort of another kind of really bonkers Bollywood one, Virana, which, um, yeah, when I get her back, that's two and a half hours. So when I get back to it, there's some possession and some. Lady Terminator type stuff without the bullets, you know, possession and uh, curses nice. and things. So looked like a lot of fun. Absolutely. Um, then I did a couple of documentaries, Canadian documentaries, no less. That CDR, I believe. I'm almost certain it was him. And maybe Chris Brown. A few others had recommended. Uh, one was called 17. And um, you might have even seen these. This is kind of from that um, that, that style of documentary it's more in line with things like oh, what was the West Virginia West Virginia West Virginia coal miner documentary a Harlan County USA. Uh, that's Kentucky. Based, oh, uh, Kentucky, uh, right? I said West Virginia last time too. Oddly enough, that's right. It's, it's it. not too far away. <laughs> but it, it's that same style, a very um, unintrusive or obtrusive uh, style of a uh, very more observational. Uh-huh, it doesn't uh-huh. try to inject the director's uh, sentiment too much. I mean, things are always edited you know, to reflect what the director's intending, but it doesn't feel as such with this. It'd be a bunch of 17 year olds, black and white, middle America, I think Ohio in the early eighties. Um, I think it's part of a larger series called Middletown USA, maybe or something. Mm. Um, anyway, it was good. It's definitely not a revelation, but it was good. Next one was, um, a real downer. It was shot in Vancouver, um, in East Hastings, which is a really, Grim and drug addicted uh, area. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I've read about these tastings. Man, fucking horrible. Um, this one is uh, is quite good. Same kind of style, no frills, just kind of uh, observational. There's a group of policemen who went around. They worked the beat there, and 
they would go around filming a lot of the uh, the homeless people and the junkies, junkies that were homeless, obviously, and just kind of speaking to them. And, and they were putting together a video for uh, school children to kind of against the perils of doing drugs. And um, it gave them a lot of access to these people's lives. And um, it's very sad. I mean, some of the people, I think, bounce back after the fact, but it's it's a... It's a really grim look at, at um, drug addiction. Very unglamorous. Mm. Um, good, solid, solid documentary. I quite enjoyed it, if you can say enjoy. You know, yeah. it's, it's yeah. not really probably the appropriate uh, <laughs> yeah. description. But nonetheless, I, I did think it was it was very well done. And, you know, it feels, I think it was early 90s, but it feels a lot um, a lot older than that. It feels like a decade earlier. Uh, next up, I wanted to jump back to Italy. That's, you know, kind of automatic uh, comfort food. I wanted to do a giallo I'd never seen, Tenino Valeri jam called My Dear Killer. Yeah, I've never seen this either. Yeah, and uh, it's got a cool cover, and <laughs> it's got Georgie Boy Hilton. So nice. other than him, William Berger, and, you know, a few other kind of uh, Tulio, uh, Tulio Valley and a few kind of faces but no real names. That Billy Berger there by. Yeah, Billy Berger <laughs> is Giorgio Canavese. Um, but uh, – and Hagelin, I should say, too. But uh, really not many more people other than that. Now, this one, the hook was it opens with a dude getting decapitated by, like, um, one of those um, construction equipment scoop things oh nice nice yeah. like a big like a big backhoe type deal. like a big backhoe basically and yeah. yeah he's hanging up high in the air and i thought okay why not you know it's probably gonna you know even the comfort food tends to fill fall unless it's terrible six to seven range which is perfectly acceptable for an afternoon viewing so i watched it and yeah it's solid by the numbers nothing special you know i i think i gave it a 6.75 but it does have one of the most intense kills i've ever seen in a giallo um hmm. One of the females gets it using like a Dremel saw. Oh. And it's in a tiled white bathroom. Oh, yeah. And it's intense. I mean, it's really nasty. Um, really nasty. You know, kind of typical psychobabble, circuitous ending. But, you know, you can do a lot worse, certainly. So. We haven't done, you know, it's weird. George Hilton's one of those guys who doesn't really pop up on our show very much. Despite being prolific in a country and genres that we love. <laughs> it's like. How was Georgie Boy not on the show? He did a lot of spaghetti westerns, did a lot of giallo, did a few Euro crime. Yeah. It's like, how has Georgie Boy not been on the show more? I think he's only been on the show like a hand, maybe, maybe not Less even a handful. a handful. Yeah, maybe like a couple times maybe. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy for sure. That Argentinian dream there, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that Zeke Pinero lookalike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, next up was a film that I desperately actually all three films were films that I was really excited to see uh, first up was The Duke of Burgundy yes this will absolutely make my top 10 to 20 of the year nice I really loved it it's a beautiful film it's not going to be for everyone because it's a very kind of intentionally slow paced but it is just luscious and beautiful same filmmaker as Barbarian Sound Studio. Yeah, Peter Strickland. This guy is becoming one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, both you and I love Barbarian. Um, I think he is one of England's brightest lights right now. This is a tremendous film, um, a very sexy film. It takes place in a kind of its own universe. Um, it deals with obsession and love and um, feels a little bit like The Collector. Oh, it's kind of all over the place, you know, not really like that sort of um, kind of Stockholm syndrome thing, but 
it, it's a tremendously beautiful film, and I really, really loved it. And I would, nice. I, there'd be a lot for us to talk about. A lot of Sammy searches, a lot of things going on. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a good one. Uh, next up was one that I was very excited for. You, of course, w- would not watch. <laughs> and uh, that's Fast 7. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how you watch that, yeah. I finally caught up with this. And I have to say, um, this feels... If I'm going to spin it positively, it feels like Michael Bay using the Turkish and Indonesian law of physics and reality to make an action film with a Michael Bay budget. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah. But at the same time, it suffers from Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3 being way overstuffed for its own good. Yeah. Right? Like, I feel like... They've created so many storylines now. I, mean, oh. I kind of wonder how they're going to be able to handle those things. You know what it feels like? It feels like I've often said these are really sort of urban superhero films, um, you know, where they're just amazing at cars and stunts and heisty things. But the problem is they've kind of conquered sort of street level stuff. So it becomes global. And when they're taking on warlords in the Middle East. Yeah. And you sort of get um, very high-level government kind of espionage stuff. And you also get, like, black ops, you know, rogue um, agents. It gets to be – it's sort of like if you take Daredevil and have him fight uh, Thanos for the Infinity Gauntlet. It just gets a little beyond the scope of what Daredevil should be doing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, understood. or Punisher, or you know, uh, Luke Cage and Iron Fist. I mean, these guys are meant to sort of, not to not to discredit them, but mm-hmm. there's a certain street level to what they're doing. And yeah. I feel like this one because it gets overstuffed, it loses a bit of heart. But there are some amazing, <laughs> amazing moments um, in it. Absolutely, there's a really great fight scene with Ronda. Rousey. Is her name Ronda Rousey? Yeah, I think so. Her name her and uh, Michelle Rodriguez that has them fighting as they're sort of sledding down multiple sets of staircases on a door that they've kicked in. Nice. Um, it's got the rock doing, there's some, I guess it's some incredibly sort of Turkish and Indonesian cinema things like the rock is laid out in the hospital. Oh, it, yeah. it defies. A lot I've read, of I've read about, I've read about this scene and I pumped my fist and <laughs> I thought of you, man, the fucking Hulk, the Hulk. It is very Hulk. It's fitting. I said that he goes, Oh, He's running a huge fucking cast or something. He goes, oh, and he just flexes and the cast explodes. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it's just amazing. Um, uh, they're, they're, uh, you know, a car like this high end sports car goes through, it smashes through three different skyscrapers in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. So, you know, that sort of thing, right? Well, I mean, if you're going to do it, you might as well do it in Abu Dhabi, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. I think, uh, you know, for me, those those movies are becoming more and more movies for fans of those movies. Yeah. And I think that's perfectly fine. And still, yeah. like I said, you know, I've seen the first two or three. And have I you? Know, I didn't know if you had. I think I've seen the first two. I know I've seen, yeah, I think I've seen uh, the one in Japan, and I think I've that's seen. three. And I know I've seen uh, the second one, the second one, John Singleton. Yeah, man. Yeah, I've seen that one. I've seen the first three. I love three. that one. Okay. Yeah. But they've I come think a long way. They've come a long way can. from uh, Fast and Furious to Abu Dhabi skyscraper jumps. <laughs> they totally have. They've really become this thing. And, you know, listen to the call to muscle. They cover all of them in a very girthy, lengthy review with Kelly. Um, they 
it's interesting because I feel like five and six are the height of the genre. I think they had the most heart. You come out smiling the most. This feels like a Chinese buffet that you like, but you're still hungry and you don't know why, even though you feel stuffed. Oh, yeah. There's some, again, some moments. Um, well, they even have some stuff with, uh, don't they bring Lucas Black back? from Lucas from, uh, Black, yeah, which is a nice little cameo. Absolutely. He looks older yeah. than he should, man, especially compared to Vin Diesel. You know, uh, I have to say, you know, everyone, it's been talked about a lot, but uh, Paul Walker, he gets a very, a very poetic and sort of fitting, poignant send off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you'd be hard pressed to at least not get chills seeing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's the fast film, uh, the latest fast film. So, you know, it is what it is for better or worse. And Kurt Russell's having fun in it. But, you know. Uh, yeah, that almost that almost drives me to want to see it. Because as I've said Kurt's before, I'll it. watch anything Kurt Russell does, right? So. Yeah, Kurt's fun in it, man. He uh, He's trying to convince Vin to drink the uh, Belgian ale. And and Vin wants to stick with his, his Corona. Yeah. Um, Vin's sticking with the lights. He wants to keep that six-pack tr- uh, you know, showing there. You don't want any of that extra. That Belgian white, too many calories, man. Too many calories. It's funny, though, because I was saying last night, it's funny how all the characters like are all these like late 30s men who are still clinging to like their late 90s fashion. <laughs> and like Vin gets married in like his like white undershirt with like his huge cross. And he's, he, he holds his bottle like a tough guy teenager where he holds it by the neck instead of the bottle. Oh yeah, yeah, those guys. You know, shit like that. Does he drink it like that too? He drinks it like that too, oh, right? Which yeah, we all do when we were eighteen, like right? That, yeah. That's a tough guy hold. So <laughs> every time I'm around people like oh, that, I'm like, man, man, this guy's way too fucking tense to be drinking, man. Yeah, he needs to get, get. He needs to crawl into an opium den, bruh. <laughs> yeah. Just mellow out. Oh. So you know, we'd have fun reviewing those films. I think. I think you would like them more than you'd think. I, I really think you would like five and six. Um, I think yeah. I watched the opening to five. Uh, enjoyed it for a little bit, but then f- was that the one in Brazil? Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, for some reason when it got to Brazil, I, I kind of faded out and I couldn't, I couldn't get through it. It's got some fun stuff, but yeah, again, yeah, mileage, pun intended, mileage will vary. Yeah. Um, last one I watched for the week was one, I, again, I had been desperate to see since Ken last year. It was Girlhood. Oh, yeah. Um, this showed up on instant. I was very pleased that it did because, um, you know, it had been one that I'd wanted to see for some time. It's about a group of four, um, floor per floor, four black Parisian young girls, sort of 15, 16 years old, um, and sort of a summer in their life. Um, it's uh, it's good, you know. It it, it kind of does that thing that um, the Dardenne brothers do, and some of these French filmmakers are doing nowadays, where it's very kind of observational and non-judgmental, and just kind of lets um, things unfold as they would. The filmmaker Celine uh, Shama, I guess her name is. I'm assuming she's Italian. Mm-hmm. Shama, French Italian. Um, she's got quite a pedigree. I mean, she's made three very interesting films that look at um, the complexities and societal expectations of, of women and girls. And sort of gender bending within the genre. Um, she did Tomboy a few years ago, yeah, which is fascinating. Water Lilies, what a you know love affair between two teenage girls one summer, and then Girlhood, which kind of examines all the different hats that um, teenage girls have to wear uh, in society. So it's a very good film. I don't think it quite lives up to what I was hoping for, but it's still very very solid. And I think it's one of those ones that is a little bit spare in spots. Um, but if you were to revisit and analyze that, it it's telling you something without showing you. So I think we're starting to see a really nice turn uh, towards uh, some some really positive uh, 
female filmmaking over the past year, two years. Yeah, and I hope it. I hope it really continues. You know, we get to see more complexities. You got Selma, that was a female. You got the girl who walks home alone at night, female. Oh yeah. This film's female. You could even argue Pitch Perfect too. Maybe not a, something we'd watch, but that's Elizabeth Banks for Christ's sake. She directed that. Oh wow, I didn't realize that. Yeah, she made that film. Good on her. Yeah, big hit. And yeah, not my bag, but good on her for sure, man. Yeah, I mean, I Gonna think we're starting fun. to see a really, uh, a really interesting turn, which could benefit uh, all of us cinema fans. Really, more female perspective from uh, oh, absolutely filmmakers. I mean, obviously, there's been great female filmmakers for years, but they I haven't had like many opportunities. They haven't been afforded yeah. the same opportunities a lot of hockey men have. Yes, exactly. I mean, they haven't been given the reins to a lot of big pictures and and big uh, events and stuff like that. And you know, that's fine. They don't always need that. But then, you know, I would like to see some of that stuff. I'd like to see more female perspective. Like a you know, a female directed Avengers movie would be interesting. You know, but I don't know if I'll ever go that route. You know, I think. Well, no, they might not. But I think that just being able to see the complexities of the gen the gender the the gender. <laughs> Uh, through different genres um, is fascinating. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I hope, yeah, I hope we keep getting that across the world because, you know, uh, as obvious a statement as it is, you know, more female voices need to be heard. We need to yeah, hear more say, about the female struggle in society. Yeah. I think that lady, I think the, uh, that uh, I didn't see it and I know it's not up our alley that 50 shades of gray movie uh, that was directed by female as well. So yeah, that's been some pretty successful female filmmaking going on. I'm, you know, that's good because, you know, people like uh, some of the great female filmmakers, I think, like Catherine Hardwick and people like that, they kind of Bigelow and... Yeah, they, I mean, Bigelow came back, but she yeah. disappeared for a while. Yeah. No, and, it's true. Uh, and, and what's her name? French-Canadian. Um, she did American Psycho. Mary Heron? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe she's not French-Canadian, but I know she the film was shot there. Her. Yeah, so, you know, some of these filmmakers, they kind of disappear because some of the films aren't as big a box office hit. And, and they don't get the same male chances. Female thing. They just, don't get the same chances, though, that men do, the second chances. Yeah, yeah they, they really don't. And, I it's mean, terrible. People can say they do, but they don't. No, it's, we know it's, they don't. Uh, <laughs> I'd be interested, too, to see if the TV um, trend will be that we're getting to see a lot more of these young, talented women um, show their chops in some of this long-form content. Yeah, well, I know, I know Heron. It's funny you mention her. I know she does work in TV quite a bit now, I think. Yeah, there you go. A lot of them do. A lot of them do. You know, but you know, so does Alan Arkish. I mean, so does yeah. You know, a lot of the filmmakers that we loved, uh, you know, growing up, or that we love looking back on their films now. A lot of those guys are. I think the guy that does uh, that did River's Edge we covered not too long ago. I think he does TV now. Not Alan Parker. Uh, Yep. Was it Alan Parker? No, it wasn't Alan Parker. It was. uh, He's a British gentleman. It was. uh, I can't remember who it was. Shame on me. It's late. Yeah, Yeah, I can't remember who it was though. For the life of me. I will tell you for the life of both of us. I know the name. I thought he was going to be like one of the great filmmakers going forward, but I can't remember his name right now off the top of my head. Tim Hunter, dare by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tim Hunter he did Tex as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. So that's good. Uh, good week on both ends. Uh, next week's going to be a very different to what we've been watching because our whole show is going to be what we've been watching. Essentially, yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> I'd be surprised if we get anything else done. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so let's take a short break and we might as well do these chronologically. I think it's, it seems like a natural progression. We will come back with Yasuharu Hasebe's massacre gun right after this. This is Red Brown. You're listening to Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema.
Welcome back, everyone. Tonight is the night, or today is the day, I guess, depending when you're listening. I kind of pay myself into a corner by starting a sentence with a word I had no intention of using to describe anything. So <laughs> it happens sometimes. Yes. Uh, the first film we're going to be talking about whenever you are listening is Masker Gun. And Masker Gun, as we've mentioned, is directed by Yasuharu Hasebe. Passed away in 2009, sadly. Um, a filmmaker who's got a fascinating filmography, um, to say the least. You know, I wouldn't say prolific, certainly, but he's got a wide enough body of work that um, bears mentioning. And a lot of stuff that's really kind of organic to our show, um, which we'll talk about here. And it's it's great that Arrow's been able to put these first these two films of his out. Um, Black Tight Killers is another one, kind of fantastic, poppy, kind of pop art. Yeah, that was before this. Wasn't that before this? Yeah, that was the year before. It was 66. Um, and then, of course, you know, we get to see in Bloody Territories of our young Miko Kaji, which we'll get to. But he also helped to really propel her career with the Stray Cat Rock series, which um, the Pinky Violence, which, I mean, really, you know, brought about a lot of uh, a lot of uh, imitators, uh, not even imitators, but a lot of people, participants in that realm and that phase of that fad of, of filmmaking. Um, as he went on, he... Um, he, uh, some would say maybe more transgressive, or at least on the surface, the stuff was more transgressive. You know, stuff like rape, thirteenth hour, assault, Jack the Ripper, and rape. I, it's it's fascinating that of the last five films he did, all of them, all titles have exclamation points at the end of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, but he did one that I, I wanted to see called The Naked Seven, um, which sounds more like a Pink Aga film, possibly, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, a very interesting filmmaker um, who, like I said, uh, you know, covered uh, tough girl cinema. He did the Female Prisoner series uh, with uh, Grudge Song, which is is very very cool. Um, and then, like I said, through the late seventies, uh, more kind of Roman porno-y, bizarro. Um, which I'm not real familiar with the Roman porno. I'm, at least I don't think I am. I'm not real. Familiar no, with that you genre. and I have spoken about this. How it's a, it's a blind spot certainly for us. You know, V the V, v Cinema Crew. Uh, Josh over at, from Very Celluloid, and of course the of the Trashy Trio yeah. is very well versed uh, in this stuff. Um, you know, uh, some of our listeners are certainly, I think, um, Jakey Pooh and CDR uh, probably a little more than us. You know, and some of our other listeners too. But um, Hasebe, nonetheless, is a very interesting filmmaker. Um, he did get his start, which I do want to say before I forget, because I think it's very evident in his films, uh, even you know, very much so in Black Tight Killers, which I'd love to cover at some point because it's fun. Um, he got to start working for Seijun Suzuki, who a lot of people really associate as kind of being the the originator of kind of this era of Japanese crime film. Uh, yes. Having, yes. Having preceded um, Fukusaku's work a little bit in terms of crossover and so forth, because Fukusaku stuff came in the 70s. So, yeah, he worked at the foot of uh, Suzuki, whose, whose work is loved the world over and really had a, a crossover appeal. Does um, Suzuki work for the same studio, Nikatsu? I believe he did, but I would be lying if I said I was um, reading some stuff about Nukatsu Studios. Found out some interesting things because Master Gun is shot in black and white, and uh, uh, Retaliation is shot in color. Yeah, and the only reason for that is is that the star of Retaliation was a part of their diamond line of stars. So if they had a big star, they would shoot a film in color. But if they had a a B actor like Joe Shishido. They would shoot it in black and white, and that's fuck. That's crazy. I didn't you know. I, I didn't know that until this this week. 
No, no. And we should say, I want to say that Arrow, you know, we can't heap enough superlatives on them. You know, we've said it before and, you know, we'll continue to say it again. Um, the, the, the packaging for these two films is just, it's stunning. It's beautiful. Beautiful original art. Um, as with all of their um, releases, you can reverse it to the original Japanese art. Or whatever region the country's from. So, um, but the artwork they've they've got this time is just uh, it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, Ian McEwen, to give credit where it's due, is the artist. So, um, a lot of times I'm not crazy about um, new art for films. Like a lot of the stuff that was done for other labels, I just I'm not a big fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he did a really good job with this stuff. Yeah, it's really nice. Really nice stuff. Um, do you want to lead on this one or do you want me to, or, uh, yeah, I'll lead on this one. I can lead on. Okay, cool. Cause this, yeah, this one, I think really feels like a Sammy film in some ways, like a classic kind of pulpy, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, crime film. Yeah. I'll be forthright in saying I like this film more than I liked retaliation. And I will be forthright in saying that I like retaliation more than this one. <laughs> there we go. So that's the, they, it must be right that I lead on this one and you lead yeah, on the other. Absolutely. But understandable. We'll, we'll get into why. We'll get into some of the reasons why we we probably uh, feel that way. Feel that way, yes. Uh, first of all, we'll talk about the cast. Of this I don't really know anybody in it that well outside of uh, Joe Shishido or Shishido Joe, or however you would say his name. I think you would say Shishido Joe in Japan, but yeah. Um, I know him from Suzuki films, but I know him also because he's one of the most recognizable faces in all of Japanese cinema. He has a very distinct look. He is. He has these puffy cheeks that he had uh, those implants put in. Yeah, and what's interesting is there's interviews with him on both discs, and he's you know he's he's quite the older gentleman now. Mm-hmm. And Suzuki's still alive. For those who don't know that, he's uh, Sajan Suzuki's still thinking about making a movie. <laughs> I know he made one not too long ago. Like, what did he make? Pistol Opera. I want to say in like the mid two thousands. He may have. I want to say he did. It looks like Joe has had those implants removed because he has a great sort of high cheekbones now. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Now it looks like he's had almost like some work done or something because the cheeks are gone. Or maybe they came with age. I don't know. But uh, he has a very distinct face. Great smoker. Reminds me a lot of Anthony. Reminds me a lot of Anthony Wong. Yeah, he's uh, very cool. And, you know, one of the things I do want to say, you do know one of the other leads in the film. Yeah, I'm he's sure a, I do. I just don't have the name. He's been on our for show them. before. And, yeah, it's, it's uh, uh, Tetsuya Fuji, IG in the film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the male lead from In the Realm of the Senses. Yes, yes. And he's also course. been in our, our show actually three or four times because he was in Bright Future, the Toyota film, which uh, oh, yeah, or Kurosawa I, film. Yeah, but I wasn't on. I don't think I did cover that one. With no, you. I think it was me and Miles. Miles and I actually. Might have been you and Miles or uh, might have been you and Chris. It was one. Yeah, it was maybe one of the C, shows maybe Brownie uh, going Cool Cat or anyway. But yeah, that has a good cast in and of its, itself. But anyway, so um, yeah. Okay, so. He stands out immediately, and this film opens great. It's almost like a – it's not a silent opening, but it is a uh, a very, you know, very much a filmmaking opening, right? It's, a, you know, mm-hmm. uh, cuts and moves and all set to a nice, uh, you know, score. And I should say this film is very jazzy. I mean, this it's film – very jazzy. This film has so many jazz licks. Man, it's so jazzy. So jazzy, I was looking for the mailman. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's right, man. Oh, you know what's – Go ahead. No, sorry. I was. You know what's always funny? I've always found very curious is how much attention Japanese filmmakers and that whole industry has always paid to score 
and cinematography, whereas you, you know, stay in the region and look at another prolific uh, country that we adore. You know, you look at Hong Kong mm-hmm. and there's been virtually no mind paid to score or cinematography in most cases other yeah. than directors uh, like Choi Hawk, who had education in Europe and North America. It's very yeah. curious to me. I've always, and I've mentioned that before on the show, but I've always found that. Well, I mean, I know from what I've read, anyway, of Chinese filmmakers, I mean, they're very meticulous. They they shoot their action like, you know, they, they said, here's going to be a kick, so they shoot the kick. Mm-hmm. Then they go over and shoot the other kick, and then they shoot that. They don't always shoot things as a master. Yeah. Uh, so they, they, they definitely shoot their action sometimes with uh, the intent of editing uh, beforehand. So I don't know. There is definitely a more, in my opinion, with uh, Chinese film as opposed to Japanese film, there seems to be a much more kind of a manufactured, not to say it's a bad thing, but kind of a manufactured style of, you know, almost like a studio, like a workhorse type thing. Mm-hmm. Like, let's churn them out, let's churn them out, you know, and yep. uh, Japanese feels a lot more, Japanese cinema has always felt a lot more, and that's, that's this is not always true because they've churned out quite a few films as well. But it's always felt to me of the Asian cinema that I've seen, Japan takes a more, and I, again, I, I'm not trying to say this to offend anybody, a more kind of artistic no, I would agree uh, with that. I would agree uh, with that. Uh, and maybe that's because of Kurosawa and people like that. I mean, you're talking to Nozu. I mean, Ozu. we're talking about, you know, some of the greatest filmmakers of all time come from Japan. So uh, I think maybe that pedigree is there. Yeah, more um, kind of. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I think that kind of carries over and stuff. And that's not to say, like, say anything bad about Chinese filmmakers, because we do know there's a lot of great Chinese filmmakers as well. Uh, more and more with Blu-rays. I'm starting to. I mean, I, this man, this this movie looks really good on Blu-ray. I don't know what you thought, but yeah, I thought yeah. it looked fantastic. And I also made a point with both films to put on the DVDs as well. Yeah. And the DVDs look fine. Yes. But when you put on the DVDs, you really see how great the Blu-rays look. Um, I have to think that you know these aren't widely available, widely accessible films. So the master they were working from, you know, I, they I think they've done a fantastic job not even from just an, a visual standpoint but an audio standpoint yeah i know the retaliation is limited to three thousand copies both is, of them uh, oh both of them are good okay yeah it's fantastic so buy them up if you want them i mean i would say you know i could say forthright that you know people that listen to this show should probably buy both because i think they'll i don't think they'll be disappointed with either film that's uh, yeah i would agree with you i think i think that both films this week Neither one may be, you know, the greatest film ever, but I think as far as collectors go, I think both films are accessible, yes. even to filmmaker, even to film fans who haven't really dipped their toe into much Japanese crime cinema. Yeah. They both feel, you know, as a filmmaker, feels indebted enough to European and film noir and French New Wave stuff that these are very accessible crime films. Yeah. Accessible and rewatchable crime films. They're both, I think, like 90 minutes long. Yeah. Uh, I will say retaliation is much more heavy on plot. Yeah. Uh, it's much more uh, plot heavy than Master Gun. Master Gun's much more, I think, and this is just me, but personally, I think Master, uh, Master Gun's a little bit more heavier on the style aspect. Yeah. It's interesting because it comes from the same filmmaker, and you see some similarities, but you almost feel like it's two different filmmakers in a way, don't you? I, I wouldn't have bet that it was Hasebi on both films, especially considering they're a year apart. One's color, one's not. Yeah. The, one takes a more traditional, pulpy, 40s, meets well kind of 40s american noir meets 60s early french new wave feel yes yes. and the other one feels like um by the time we get a year later um retaliation feels very much like the japanese film of the time influenced a little bit by italian cinema and Mm -hmm. 
you know, very colorful, but um, very handheld too. That that film, yeah. that, the retaliation, and I'll talk about this more when we get to that. Is, is so much handheld work in that, and uh, you know, this is the the era before you know stabilized cameras. So I mean, <laughs> you can definitely tell when it's handheld and when it's not, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but his, uh, we should say Joe Shishido's, his, his cheeks are a character all their own in a lot yeah. of ways, the way he's framed, the way he's shot. Uh, I was trying to look into trying to figure it myself, you know, one club's called Black and White in this, one club's called Club Rainbow, and I'm sitting there thinking, is, is Sasabe, is he, is he trying to say something with that? I think there was something to it. I'd read somewhere that the, the meaning and the impact and the symbology I guess, uh, for lack of a better description. Yeah, I mean, it's too much what, of a coincidence for one club to be called black and white and one to be called rainbow. Yeah, what he was getting at. And I think there was even play on some of the names of the characters that in Japanese they sounded like, one sounded like black and one sounded like white in Japanese. Something to that effect where he was really, he there was an intent there. Yeah. There is a lot of macho gangsters in this movie. And I thought, man, yeah. this movie's full of macho gangsters. And then we watched the second film and I was like, man. This movie's full of even more macho gangsters. Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of macho gangsters in these two. This is like any good crime film, though. This has the you know, the great kind of crime conventions of you know people smoking, sitting around waiting in cars, and you know waiting in in, in uh, you know back rooms and things like that. And it's it's very well paced. The story you know takes some interesting beats. There's some things I didn't expect to happen. Yeah. Uh, there's a great scene where the kind of Kuroto brothers. This is a uh, uh, Joshishido and his two brothers, they kind of start taking over the boss that Joshishido's character used to work for. They uh, they kind of start taking over his territories. And there's some surprisingly kind of nasty moments in the film uh, for the era, along with surprising, uh, I guess you could get away with nudity a little bit more back then. There's Japanese also, so, film was always very progressive. Yeah, there was also a surprising amount of nudity. Not excessive, but I mean, it, it was there was nudity where you didn't expect it, I think. From always, this type of film, because it does feel like a 40s film. It feels completely like a 40s yeah, film. Yeah, it totally does. And that's what I was going to say was I always feel like when I'm watching a black and white film and there's nudity, I always feel like it's a little more kind of like, ooh, <laughs> yeah, this like shouldn't We're be getting here. away with something here. Ooh. Yeah, it's naughty or something. <laughs> yeah, very risque. Ooh. Yeah, totally, man. <laughs> totally. I like the soundtrack quite a bit. Uh, yeah. The gentleman playing the guitar and singing sometimes and the piano, he, he kind of got on my nerves sometimes. Yeah, Ken Sanders, <laughs> he... Uh, <laughs> He is a Japanese-American in that his father was an African-American GI in Japan, and his mother was uh, Japanese. Uh, <laughs> yeah, totally, man. I have a note here, and I can't find it, but I'm going to find it for the other review as to who he sounded like. Because I have a lot of notes on this. So almost like, uh, like oh, Freddie Fender, like uh, hanging totally. out in the jazz club. Or he sounded like the Cowardly Lion if he was a drag queen torch singer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, 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 like I said, I'm not no saying he's nothing. His character yeah, just, yeah. His character just, he's kind of like this. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for to kind of move a story along? Kind of a uh, a minstrel. Yeah, uh, to kind of move like so. an ancient, you know, tale along. And this is a pretty sure. classic tale, you know, brothers. Yeah, absolutely. Revenge, so you know, I, I feel like you know, I mean, there's a lot of yeah. Let's yeah. say he's kind of going for something there too, because the music kind of moves the story along too. Yeah, because there's boxing elements in this. And some brutal hand violence. Oh, uh, some nasty time. stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what this would sit alongside is um, we did Rusty Knife. Or did we do a Rusty Knife or Attack the Police Van? We did Attack the Police Van. Yeah, the, the Nakatsu Nuarsa, which again, also another high recommend from, from Eclipse, the, the Criterion series. 
if you're into this stuff, that would kind of fit in this world. This kind of fits mm-hmm. into that world as well, specifically yeah, this yeah. film. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a whole lot. I mean, I, it's, it's always hard for me to take notes on these films because it's, I don't know as much about these movies. Actually, you know, well, you know, like we said before, when we started the show, one of the reasons why we started, we thought, you know, when we started, we thought maybe it would be an East versus West thing quite a bit, but it ended up being a little bit of everything, but macho plus macho. Yeah. Thing. But my knowledge of this, uh, continent and its cinema output is basically limited to the masters. It's not limited to a lot of B movie stuff. I've seen, you know, stuff that, you know, I could, I could hold my own maybe in a conversation, but I couldn't go, I couldn't deep. go in depth. You know. Deep cuts. Yeah, I couldn't get into the deep cuts because with the deep cuts, I rely on people in the group, you, you yourself, and uh, you know people like Jay and and Josh and Chris Brown and all kinds of people to uh, kind of open those worlds to me. Jake, you know, Jake's a good resource for this material too. Yeah, he totally is. We rely on them for deep cuts. Also, we rely on them for cold cuts sometimes. Yes, yes, exactly. Mortadella thereby. Yeah, and deep slits even as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Andy Carman, yeah. that, that slit aficionado. <laughs> He's pounding us for some slit coverage. Yeah, he really, really is, is riding that slit train hard. <laughs> the slit train. What a great, what a great uh, GGTMC <laughs> image that is. Can't wait for one of our more handy artistic types to post a slit train picture on the group now. <laughs> All I'm hearing is slit train instead of crazy train, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, anyway. Uh, yeah, but slit I, train I would... actually. Little known fact. Sorry to cut you up. Slit train. Little known fact um, was with an exclamation point at the end. Was Yasuharo's Yasuharo Hasebe's last film. Slit rape. The slit train. Exclamation point. <laughs> yeah. It's the train. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, the story's really good in this. The the way the brothers kind of take over. So I really love that scene with them walking through all these establishment stuff. So oh, cool yeah. and stuff. And you know, it just it reminded me of some of the more modern uh, films we've gotten from China and a few other places from Johnny Toe and and stuff like that. You know, you got a feeling you know he saw these films, obviously. And uh, you know, you get that sense because this feels like, in some ways, this one does feel like a Johnny Toe film. Yeah, you could feel uh, he, he, would, he was heavily influenced by. Yeah, by what I'm familiar with with Asian cinema, I definitely see some Johnny Toe uh, similarities. And like I said, Joe Shishido's character in this is very similar to Anthony Wong's character oh, in a yeah. couple of Johnny Toe films. Um, and that he's almost this tired gangster who doesn't really know, you know, how he's going to get out of the situation he's kind of got himself into. And, uh, you know, the, the way that kind of plays out is nice. Man, I tell you what, though, I will say this they can, they can fix a club quicker than any group of people i've ever seen <laughs> fuck man who the who, yeah. what who's their window guy that guy came in and fixed that paint uh, stained glass window in no time that guy's earning his keep man <laughs> yeah they keep some good guys on call man they destroyed that bar man <laughs> he's like fix it we open it tonight did i'm like see, oh man did you see john wick yeah <laughs> it's like that crew I haven't, man. I haven't seen john wick yet no oh, okay okay it's like the crew the cleanup crew that comes in fix yeah cash. I mean, I've seen some quick cleanup crews in my day, but usually it's to clean up the mess of a murder. It's not really the use of, you know, it's not, I mean, going from somebody who's worked construction in his younger years, I can tell you right now, putting window in, is, it takes a little bit of time. That's no joke, man. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're talking about some, some artisan-type windows here. You know, most, yeah. most of your stained glass, I mean, in 67, I would assume that shit wasn't factory. I mean, that was probably was handmade. Hand, yeah, no doubt, man. 
So I mean, evidently this bar might see some action. He probably keeps a few copies on on backup. He does a few at a time. Yeah, man. He needs to slide one in. So, uh, but yeah, it was a really quick, uh, really quick fix. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I enjoyed the film. Uh, there's a great scene t- toward the end where uh, headlights factor in, and I really enjoyed oh, that. Oh man, yeah, absolutely. Quite, quite a bit. Uh, but this is very noirish. I think uh, very, Scott, very, very. Uh, Scott from I think he rented this not too long ago. I don't. Remember, I don't think I've listened to the show where he said he mentioned, talked about it, and I don't know if he liked it or not, but this does remind me of him in quite a few ways, too, because yeah, totally he's very does. much into that noir-ish, uh, you know, aesthetic, obviously. It's very much a genre he loves. And this is, as much as it's a crime film, a Yakuza crime film, it's almost a Yakuza crime noir more than anything. <laughs> yeah, it is, and I feel like even people like Morris or Sh- Sh- uh, Shiftless and Shasta, yeah. any of our, our listeners that are really into that noir stuff with Todd. This, is, this has got a good love triangle, too. It's got a real solid love triangle in it Yeah, that doesn't feel forced, like down your throat. That's right. Um, and like I said, that opening, you know, it's pretty powerful stuff. Matter of fact, I didn't even know what was going on until... Shishido kind of pulled his his gun up. I was kind of surprised. Yeah, so, it, it's good stuff, man. I I got to say, I mean, I really enjoyed this. It just spoke to me um, more aesthetically, I think, than Retaliation did. But I'll get into what the you know Retaliation when we talk about that. I'll go ahead and pass it over to you. Nice. So yeah, we talked about it being a Katsu film and the noir influences, shadows and jazz and the underworld and how the underworld's kind of self-contained and self-reliant, which I always like seeing in films. Um, I knew this was a film for us because the opening, um, like on the disc, as the disc starts, it's uh, like this heavy sax over the opening title sequence on the disc, which is amazing. Um, I think it's always fascinating to see Japan in post-war. This is 20, 20 years after the fact. Yeah. Hey, well, I just got to mute myself, so you just keep talking. I got to take care of something. Yeah, just to see you know Japan 20 years after the war is, uh, is always very fascinating to see how quickly the country's built up and... You know, you see it. Ugh, excuse me. You see it on film here. Um, I think one of the things too that Masquerade. We haven't synopsized this film, and actually, this has one of my favorite synopsis synopses synopsi. It's getting late, isn't it? Uh, a lot of poppycock being spread around on the show. Um, I'll summarize this film. Kuroda is a mob hitman who turns on his employers after being forced to execute his lover. Joining forces with his similarly wronged brothers, hot-headed IG and aspiring boxer Saburo, the trio escalate the mob retaliation to all-out turf war when no one will stop until one faction emerges victorious. That's a fucking tremendous, tremendous summary. And it's the kind of one that, yeah, it just, it's so such a delicious uh, summary, certainly. Um, and that was one of the things I really dug is, is seeing all that stuff kind of unfold. Um, I loved seeing over the answer with the Japanese called Giri or Giri, a duty or honor to one's gang. And just to see that, uh, you know, one of those is very much a, a, a macho kind of bromance convention, which is great. Um, I think too, like the, I think there's some of it, you know, you could, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but kind of cultural, uh, observation of you know the traditional war sort of West and the infiltration of or the traditional East and the infiltration of the West and Western culture and Western um, corruption into society. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they kind of touch on that a little bit. Um, man, how about that? We even mentioned this. How about that white dude that's dancing yeah. in the glittery sequence speedo with the with the lady? Yeah, that uh, that reminded me of uh, our good buddy Todd. Totally did, man. 
Totally did. There's a reason why he writes reviews for the blog there, boy. You guys got moves. Shaker, man. Pepper shaker. Collie. Uh, <laughs> um, that pepper shaker. That pepper shaker, man. Look at my shirt. Get <laughs> a little pepper. Um, uh, next time I see him in person. Yeah. <laughs> the motion, man. Yeah. Um, there's an there's an archery club in this. I'm surprised we didn't get more uh, arrows through people's faces. You know, but I guess you can't have it all. Um, I think there's something you know as a guy, and I can only speak as a guy because I'm a guy. Something very romantic um, and powerful about kind of the bromance of these brothers fighting sort of backs to the wall, mm-hmm. fighting for the same cause. It's like that you know it's sort of precursor to like the sort of the whole heroic bloodshed thing. Yeah, and, and Western. The, the, yeah, they give the brothers three different distinct personalities too, right? Like one's off the handle. Yep. Another one, another one gets some wacky flashbacks, but you can tell he's a guy that wants to, like, he doesn't really want to be involved with the crime side, but because he loves his brothers, he kind of is. Mm-hmm. The giri or the loyalty or honor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and two, we should say we get Canadian tuxedos in this, which is amazing. I'm glad we don't live in a time anymore that it's socially... And you used to see this in films every so often, and it's one of the most vile, repulsive things I can imagine. There was a time when it was socially acceptable for someone to pick stray cigarette butts out of an ashtray and smoke them. And I have to say, I think that's one of the most disgusting things I can imagine. Oh, you say it again. I didn't hear that part. I'm sorry. I had to step away for one second. That's okay. You see this a lot in older films. You never see it nowadays. But it's such a repulsive thing to me is how you see someone who's a little bit hard up and they're a smoker and they'll like pick through like an ashtray and take all like the half decent butts out of there and smoke them. (laughs) We see it in this. It's so fucking gross. So (laughs) gross. Um, One of the things I loved about the the heavies in this film is that every day for them was Hawaiian shirt Friday. Like there's that one boss. He made every day Hawaiian shirt day, which is great. Um, what does this say? Naked. I don't even know what that says, man. Um, sexy. Punching and vomiting scene. I don't know what that even means. Well, I mean. That's what you're into. I'm learning more about you every day, Dad. That's Biden. not what I'm into. I don't know what that even means. <laughs> oh, boy. Start uh, calling you the salt shaker. The salt shaker, yeah. No kidding, man. <laughs> um, I was just, I was, you know, when I was getting tired and I was scribbling stuff. and Oh, yeah. uh, visual. Oh, you know, there's a scene uh, towards the back end where there's a kind of overhead shot of these guys shooting these guns down on, on the people below. And it kind of, I feel like that visual cue was used in Usual Suspects with the mm-hmm. shipyard you know, the kind of hopeless shootout in the shipyard. Sin City with kind of that overhead shot. Yeah, 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 I know what you're talking about. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, we talked about uh, Ken Sanders in the film. <laughs> Freddie Fender. The poor man's Freddie Fender. Um, some great low-angle shots. At times it feels a little bit too stoic for its own good. You know, um, we get a bit of a wild bunch moment, which, you know, as always, just yeah. 
very GGTMC, right? Very, yeah, just it's, the like most cinematic GGTC GGTMC moment in cinema history is the Wild Bunch moment. For those that are yeah. newer to the show, I mean, that's, yeah, it's, it's the it, one thing Will and I are totally at odds oh, with, uh, not at odds with, that's in total agreement about. Oh, yeah, it's just it's so good. Uh, it's the bromance moment. <laughs> It totally cinema. is. It totally is the bromance moment in cinema. It totally. Johnny Walker is to Japanese gangsters what J&B is to Italy. Yeah, yeah, they love the Johnny Walker. Walker over there. I think they have the black, if I remember, not the red, but... Um, yeah, uh, a lot of birds flying around remind me of Wu. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll tell you what, it's a bad move to wear white patent leather shoes to a shootout. Well, yeah, it's a bad move if you got a dinner date later. Or, you yeah, know, it's, it's it's a bad move, but yeah, I know I agree with you anyway. It's a bad move. The one dude should... wore an all white suit. It's like, why not just roll down a hill of 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 cut in half pomegranates and 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 roll them around in your white carpeted house? Yeah, what an image that is. Jeez. <laughs> it's like, a... honey, I'm gonna need you to cut the pomegranates again. Yeah, it's just such a mess. Just pour yeah, pour blackberries on everyone. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, just the disc on the whole, I want to say, I think it's really great. Like there's some, uh, Shishido and, and, uh, there's, some there's great- a long, uh, there's a long kind of history. I watched some of it and watch all of it. There's a kind of a, on both discs, there's a bit of a history on the Nikatsu studios Yeah, from a British gentleman who I can't remember his name. I think it's Tony Rains, maybe something like that. Maybe so. And I know Jasper Sharp wrote some fantastic liner notes mm-hmm. for both discs. Yeah. I only have the uh, full release of Retaliation, so I haven't seen the uh, full release of the Massacre Gun Notes, but I do know I watched some of those Nikatsu uh, studio things, and that's where I found out about that Diamond Line thing. That, that's very know, cool, that's yeah. That's the reason why this was black and white, because I thought to myself, why, why was, I mean, outside of the aesthetic, why was this one black and white and the other one uh, color, when it seems like a director like Asabe, would, he would just be like, uh, you know, he would probably want to work in color a lot, because... You know, he uses blood quite a bit, and we've seen oh, yeah. some of his other films. He's used color quite well. Yeah, he uses it wonderfully. But i got to say, sense. for me, it, it might be just as impressive for me personally that the way he uses black and white. Yeah, he uses it very impressively. And it, and, it, and it fits organically inside the world of, of the mm-hmm. films that use black and white. Um, because of Yeah, it's not super expressionistic, but it's very stylish and very yep. well done. I was actually surprised at how kind of quiet in a lot of ways this film is. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I expected it to be much more. You know, with this one, Masker Gun, I expected it to be what Retaliation is. Retaliation's got moments of quiet, but it's much more loud yep. in spots. Uh, gang shootouts and, and a lot more characters and stuff. I felt like Masker Gun was going to be that film, and that Retaliation, in a lot of ways, was going to be, you know, the quieter of the two films. So I was kind of surprised. And Masker Gun is such what a title. Yeah, I know. <laughs> It sounds like, of course, it sounds like a spaghetti western, right? Oh, well, I, it's funny. You thought spaghetti western. I thought of like '80s horror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that would be that would, that would be called Massacre Camp. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm mixing up with Nailgun Massacre. Yeah. Well, yeah, Nailgun Massacre. Yeah. A lot of massacre, microwave massacre, a lot of massacres yeah. uh, in the, the '80s. Sorority House Massacre. Oh, there's tons. Yeah. I don't think we've other than. Of which, did we cover Massacre Time? I don't even think we've covered Massacre Time. Yeah, we Massacre did. Lucha Fulci. Yeah. yeah, we did. Yeah. I think that might I have been the, might only be the only other film we've ever covered with the words Massacre in it. Uh, and George Hilton, for that matter, if I remember yeah. the search. Yeah, there we go. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, is that all you got on Massacre Time? That's all I got. All right. I'm going to go with uh, 
I'm not going to go with a subby. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go with him, even though I do think this is a very impressive work. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Joe Shishido on this one. Uh, Shishido Joe. Uh, I really like uh, him in the movie. He's, like, totally cool. He's so, he's so, so Anthony Wong. Even Anthony Wong is like, dude, you can't <laughs> compete with that, you know? He is cool. There's no Pretty problem. cool in the movie, so. Uh, my favorite scene... In the film, my make or break for me is I, I really enjoyed that brothers takeover uh, oh, kind yeah. of montage. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's very, I mean, obviously the filmmakers we love nowadays, you can see a lot of influence from that, uh, from Reservoir Dogs and you know skinny ties and black and white suits, which it looks like these guys are wearing too. Which we know, you know, he kind of riffed on City on Fire or whatever. But I feel like that fashion sense kind of had been around for a while anyway. Totally did. And uh, Tarantino just loved that fashion style anyhow. Because it's very simple, right? The skinny tie, the skinny black and you know, the black and white suit. Very simple. Clean, classic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, my score for the film is a 7.75 out of 10. I like this film a lot. Nice. Uh, I couldn't quite get into the eight territory with either film this year, this week, but I did enjoy this quite a bit, and I do think it's worth a purchase because I think it's very rewatchable, and I think if I watch it a few more times, my score might actually go up because yeah. of an appreciation for this. So take my 7.75 lightly. You could probably round it up to an 8 because I think, I mean, this is a movie that I'll revisit. So, mm-hmm. And I'll show to people uh, who want to watch this kind of movie. Um, both show, both films this week actually are movies I would show to people who were looking for that kind of genre film. Yep. So, uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> nice. Very cool. I'm going to make a break. Um, yeah, I also like the takeover scene by the brothers. I think it's very cool, kind of montage and you know, they're just they're kicking ass. That's fantastic. Uh, my MVT is I like the way Hasebi um, makes a film that feels very classic um, in terms of the noir and the, like I said, the French New Wave. It feels very sort of Cassavetes in some ways, early Cassavetes stuff. I, I dig that. I think that's my most valuable thing. Um, I think it would make a good jump-off point for people looking to get into Japanese credit. The whole Noah and the Katsu Noir series, really. And this. And mm-hmm. Retaliation. Um, and my score is just a little low, and yours is a 7.5. Yeah. I think we're going to be opposite ends of the spectrum on both these films. I think we're going to, I don't know what your score is for the next one, but I'm curious if it's around the same ballpark. Like we're just yeah, off yeah, by it's not, yeah. Like we're just off by that 0.25 again. Yep. Oh, no, exactly. <laughs> be curious to see. I know it will be. And uh, with that, we will take a short break, come back and talk some yes. retaliation. Yes, and buy it. Buy it. Bye, bye, bye. Hey, this is Scott of Married with Clickers. Tune in to hear my wife Kat and me discuss all sorts of movies. We'll cover everything from The Lost Weekend to Weekend at Bernie's. From The Big Sleep to Big Mama's House. Well, maybe not Big Mama's House. And the great thing about Kat is that she's not afraid to speak her mind. And would you be surprised to hear he was nominated for Best Actor that year? For that film? For that film. <laughs> but don't take my word for it. Just listen to what the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema has to say about our show. Oh, it's a husband and wife show, and they discuss movies and stuff. Yeah, a very wife-husband show. High praise indeed. So come find us at marriedwithclickers.libson.com. It will save your life. Or maybe just help you kill an hour. All right, guys, we are back. It's time for our second review of the night, and it is a film made a year later by the same man, Yasuharu Sebe, 1968's Retaliation, or Shimawa Morata. Oh. Yeah, it wasn't too, uh, wasn't too difficult. 
Um, Tetsuya Fuji returns. Uh, Joe Shishida returns. This was certainly a man who liked to use his stable of actors. However, we do get Akira Kobayashi in this one, um, who had returned, also worked with um, with the Seve on Black Tide Killers and a few other films. And Kobayashi's uh, someone I quite like. So, yeah, he's a big. He was a big star uh, because he, he, like I said, he was part of that diamond line. So that's why this film was shot in color because he was the lead. Yeah. And the Nikatsu said, "Okay, he's the lead. He's our diamond line guy. We shoot this in color." He's great. You know, he has a great look to me. He has a classic. I love Japanese, his voice. Oh. His voice is great. And just a classic Japanese tough guy look. I mean, yeah. he's got kind of the Johnny Unitas box cut. A little bit stockier, like a, like a Wakayama brother. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, doesn't fuck around. He was in Rusty Knife, coincidentally, as well. So he'd been a star for some time. I mean, he'd been working since the mid-50s. So, yeah, he's cool. I, I quite like him. Um, so I will uh, synopsize this film. Um even though I've just uh, obviously clicked on the retaliate or the massacre gun uh, <laughs> synopsis. So Jiro, an ex-convict, comes back to the street after eight years. The gang to which he belonged is nearly disbanded. Only the aging boss in his sick bed remains. Still loyal to the ex-boss, Jiro approaches the Parahosama family to ask for assistance. And I'll leave it at that. So, yeah, this film, as we'd said, a year later, what a difference it makes. It feels very much like it's it's really got its foot strong in the the film language of what we would come to expect, expect from Japanese gangster films of the late 60s and early 70s. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, once again, gorgeous packaging, much like with the last film, chock full of special features. These are limited edition, 3,000 copies each. They're both... Um, if you look at the price and think, oh, it seems a bit strong, you get the DVD and the Blu-ray with both. Oh, okay, you get the DVD with Master Gun as well? Oh, yep. yeah, that's right. You said something about that. That's right. Yeah, again, interview with Joe Shishido, um, interview with uh, Tony Raines, um, some gallery he's got stuff. Some, uh, he's got some pretty great stories, too, uh, Shishido. He, on this one, he talks about how uh, the lead there, the guy that played the lead here, he said he's talked to him a couple times since, but he's, he's a person of bad temper. <laughs> he kind of looks that way, doesn't he? Yeah. So evidently, in real life, he's a bit of a he's got a bit of a temper. Yeah. Whereas Joe and I, you know what you know what I love? I love how different Joe Shishido's character is in this in some ways. If oh, was, you know, yeah, he's a he's like a he's like a weird kind of Elliot Gould kind of cooler, edgier Elliot Gould, seventies Elliot Gould to me in this. Yeah, yeah. His and hair is kind of, of floppy. I don't know. Yeah, a little bit of a slob and a little bit of a, a little bit of a dirt bag. Yeah. But uh, kind of a lovable dirt bag. A right? lovable dirt bag, absolutely. A lot. He's yeah, almost, I like his, I like this character in this a lot too. It's like it's a total one eighty from uh, the character he played in Master. Very, Game. very much so. Very much so. And I also love how one of like his it was in this film or was it in Massacre Gun? I, I forgive me, I'm getting late. I'm blowing them together. I wouldn't know. I want to say, but yeah, it was this film. How uh, the other guy's right hand man reminded me of sort of like like the young kind of he had sort of a, like a Louis Koo vibe to him. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I you think know. it was this one. Yeah, it must have been this one. So, yeah, the film opens up. It's got this kind of train yard opening, which, you know, the sort of symbolism of the crossroads and, you know, commerce and and so forth, uh, I like. Um, and it kind of it opens with this establishment of, you know, the, our two leads don't really like each other. <laughs> yeah. To say the least. Yeah. Um, but that's great because it, it sets the table for Kobayashi and Shishido or, or Jiro and Hino to... Um, you know, it kind of makes the, that much more poignant when they team up later on. 
Yeah, yeah, I like that aspect of the film quite a bit. That kind of reminds me of that heroic bloodshed stuff we'd see later. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I like it. The sun comes in. And this is another thing. This film looks great, too, on blue. I wouldn't say it's, you know, showstopper, but considering the source material that they had to use, I think it looks great. Yeah, this one, this one's weird to me. I, I thought it looked really good, too. On When you watched it, did, did, did it seem like the corners, almost like it was shot in anamorphic, and like the corners were, like it was almost like a fisheye type effect in some spots? A little bit, yeah, like a little the corners, bit. I kept looking at the corners, it distracted me a little bit that they were so kind of out of focus or kind of hazy in spots. Yeah, no, that's true. That's very true. I, I was interested, you know, I mean, I didn't get enough, I didn't read enough detail and seeing why that might be. I mean, it still looks really good. It's very colorful. Yeah. And again, compared to the DVD, like, again, not a showstopper. This doesn't have that really bright color palette, but it is colorful in spots. The things that pop, pop. Um, yeah. I like some of the early shots, too, like the sun coming in. And one of the things I like is how I think this film does a great job looking at some of the nuts and bolts of the Yakuza without it falling into the trap of just immediate kind of shootout. It looks at some of the mundane shit, like them having to set up like a real estate office and how in Japan licit and illicit business business tend to go hand in hand. Yeah. And how much legitimacy the Yakuza wisely Mm -hmm. was trying to invest their money. Right. We get that in this film, you know, it's very entrenched. Buying that up poor, that poor farmer's daughter in this. Yeah, Miko Kaji, man. Yeah. She's getting manhandled left and right. She really did. And it's so bizarre to see, you know, one of our favorites, one of the toughest women on in cinema, just sort of be this helpless kind of farmer's daughter waif. Yeah, that's only the, yeah, I mean, I was like, this is so not the person I know. <laughs> man, where's that fucking steely-eyed glare? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, because she's fierce, man. She is fierce. You know, she's been on our show three or four times now. Well, she might have been the most featured female lead on our show, man. You know, between female uh, well, prisoner. She's yeah, she's certainly the most female Asian lead. The two female prisoner films. Two of them, I should say. Ironically, I've done Hasebis. Two Snowblood movies. The two Snowblood movies. Blind Woman's Curse. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. So five. And then this, right? Supporting role in this. Wow. So. A supporting role in this, but yeah, more she's prominent than the other one. Steely-eyed man. I mean, she just got. She might have the greatest if looks could kill look ever. She does have a yeah. She does have a great look. You know, thinking, thinking about the other females that we've you know Pam Greer. She's been on the show a few times. A few but I don't times, think, not as many as, as the I don't Queen. think six though. I don't think six. No, well, we did Friday Foster. The Friday Foster. We, we didn't do Bucktown. We didn't do Jackie. Bra- we did Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown. That might have been it for the Queen. Might have been. Fuck, I wouldn't mind getting Sheba Baby on the show, man. Yeah, Shiva Baby and and of course Coffee, Coffee and all those Foxy, Foxy Brown, all the film. All the Jack Hill stuff. In time, in time. In time. Um, this film feels kind of very, you know, more tactile than the last one. You know, the colors and good use of colors. And I think, you know, one of the things I find poignant about this one, the last one was poignant, it dealt with family. This one also deals with family figures. It deals with, you know, wanting revenge or wanting to right some wrongs that a father figure has gone through. These things are all very much in mas- looked at through the sort of masculine genre of the crime film, but also Japan is known to be a very patriarchal country. So mm-hmm. we kind of get to see that with these two films. Yes, indeed. Um, also, we kind of see the, the clash of philosophies, whether it's intended or not. I can't help as a Westerner look at it as... Jiro's family, that he comes from the crime family, 
considered more classical, conventional, traditional Japanese. And these new ones are all very westernized with their suits and everything else. I don't know if that's commentary on um, willingness to forgo tradition and culture in the interest of pursuing a buck. Yeah, because they were they like they, they wear like traditional Japanese garments underneath like suit jackets sometimes, don't they? Yeah, and which is something I'm not too familiar with. So I'm assuming that that's a old Japanese meets the new Japanese kind of look. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And you get to see kind of that post-war boom for everyone, right? Like buying up land and it's prosperous, and you know, it's uh, it's interesting. I got to say, and I've said it before, I don't think anyone does brooding better and scowling better than Japanese gangsters in films. Yeah. Well, I agree with you on that. Also, they don't, nobody does uh, accelerations and dialogue quicker than Chinese no. gangsters. I mean, they go from zero Japanese, to 60 yeah. quicker than anything I can think of. Big time. Big time. Um, yeah, Joe in a different role. I want to say it's testament to his lack of vanity and his malleability and his talent as an actor. I like that he's able to do that. And, yeah, he's a character actor with leading actor abilities. He's one of those. Kind he's of kind guys. of like a Nick Cage in some ways. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he can go full tilt. He know. can go full tilt, or he can dial it back. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, some of the dudes in this are so GGTMC man with their blazers with no shirt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know it's amazing. Man. I it's wanted to get some screenshots, but I was watching it on you know the fancy home system, so I. I would have had to actually take pictures with my phone Which off the I've, TV, and yeah. I don't like really doing that. I've done much. that. Yeah, it's not yeah. the same. It's not the same, yeah. Um, but there's some true uh, GGTMC screen captures in this. <laughs> oh, there totally is. In this film. Totally is. Um, I love how the card shark, he looks like, to me, like Byung-Hun Lee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little like him. Um, and I love that there's that great kind of macho kind of line, which Shishido says to uh, Jiro. Because, again, they were enemies that are forced to work together. And uh, he says, well, you know, if you're going to help me, be be warned. You could die doing this. And uh, Sushita says, I won't die until I kill you. Yeah, that's so, great. It's, it is great. Um, I love seeing the 60s kind of Japanese neon. Yeah. It looks beautiful. Really beautiful. Um, we said about Louis Ku, sort of right-hand man. And shots them sitting in the office. And I, I love how another very GGTMC moment is when they're torturing one of our guys. And to torture him, all the all the henchmen take off their shirts and get sweaty to torture him. <laughs> yeah. To get him to talk. It's like everyone has to take their shirt off. Yeah. They go, full, they, they, go full, they go full Nicolas Cage on the torturing. They totally Everybody do. has like a weapon. And like every, they don't <laughs> show it, but you see them all grab their particular torture device and one guy's got a cheese grater another guy against your knife <laughs> yeah. so. almost feels like like a like a bugs bunny cartoon yeah in a weird way acne frying pan <laughs> yeah. um the kitchen sink comes falling down from the ceiling sink. yeah an anvil a safe um <laughs> acme written on it <laughs> acme, totally <laughs> totally uh, uh there's a great this one we, we should say this one too uh, this is both uh, a power of this film and a bit of a hindrance in spots for me. This one feels much more guerrilla style. It's very handheld. It does, but which Fukusaku and these guys did sort of like that. They kind of blur the line between handheld documentary style with the fantastical mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah, this one yeah. Has, has a mix of some of the stuff in Massacre Gun, some of the more stoic, uh, well-designed shots mixed in with some 
some pretty frantic handheld stuff mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty, I mean, it's really frantic. I mean, to the point to where some of our good friends who get motion sick, they might have some issues with some parts of this film. Yeah. Yeah. Like that Miko Kaji rape might not be as pleasant for them. Spoiler alert. Well, I mean, it wasn't pleasant, pleasant for us. For but <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> we should clarify. Yes. But, oh, yeah. Watch me get quoted on that fucker. Yeah, that's right. Man. That's right. On the technical spec, Sammy gets quoted the same. Miko Kaji rape won't be as uh, pleasant. May not be as pleasant for those with motion sickness. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Um. I love uh I love what did I say here? I lost Oh, I really feel like the scene where there's this that torture and sort of the dance club scene with this really surfy and I should say great score for this film. Surfy kind of rockabilly. Yeah, I like this one. Stuff. I like this one a lot more. Not that I'm against the jazz stuff cuz it fits the Massacre Gun film I love just it. fine. Yeah. yeah. But I'm not really so much of a jazz guy. See, I am more a jazz guy. Yeah. And it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really for the setting, it works, but it's not like something I would sit around and listen to. And I'm not talking about the singing bits either. I'm just talking about the jazz itself. Oh yeah. Whereas this, you know, as far as list, as far as music listening stuff, I, I mean, I am much more. I know you like rockabilly as well, oh, but yeah. I mean, I, I'm much more. This is much more up my alley as far as kind of what I would traditionally listen to. Totally. No, I, I I love it. I love both. I love both. So yeah, they're both I, really good. I mean, we should say that. I should I clarify. Think, both really do a good job of helping to accentuate the energy and feel of the characters and the time and the films. Um, But I feel like that scene with that music where it's kind of reaching its pitch and it's edited the dancing, the edited torture scene kind of feels very like Tarantino. Yeah, it does. You know, very, I thought a lot of this stuff, I mean, not to, you know, to get that, to beat an old dead horse or whatever, but there's a lot of stuff I feel like in here that, you know, those young filmmakers of the early nineties, that kind of Tarantino crime vibe. There's a lot of that stuff you can see in here. Now, of course, I don't know how much of this stuff he's seen, but obviously it's there. And, totally. Uh, you know, maybe he saw it from another filmmaker who saw this, and it's kind yeah. of, you know, kind of dissolved itself, kind of worked its way it's down by osmosis, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Because I do see some of the Fukusaku stuff in this. I do oh, see yeah. some of, you know, what would come later. Yep. Oh, no, I totally do. Uh, we get to the people's eyebrow in this, man. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, That's what should have happened. The Rock should have flexed his eyebrow and the cat should have broke off. That would have been, been amazing. <laughs> I love how Jiro is such a bodman. He he kicks the one the one dude's trailing him and he just kicks him and snatches his knife away. Yeah. <laughs> love that. You gotta feel pretty uh dry when that happens. I love when the fight and kind of brawly kind of low level stuff breaks out. It starts to feel a bit Hong Kong Godfather. In some ways, mm-hmm. again, everyone just kind of grabs something. And yeah. there is a great, great moment of arterial spray against the glass in this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Really Italian levels. Italian, like Tenebrae. It feels yeah. like one of those, like, the hairy bullshit, hairy macho bullshit uh, couple <laughs> that gets it. Every time I always think of, like, a, a massive blood splatter, arterial spray, I always think that there's a special effects guy somewhere that just, you know, the director's like, more more blood, and he's just like fed up, and he's like, fuck it, I'm going to use the whole fucking bucket this time. In one shot, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and I, they do it, and the oh. director's like, perfect! Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, I've never been around anybody that's cut an artery, so I don't know. I mean, my wife says uh, she's around stuff like that, or she has been in the past, and she says it's, it's an excessive amount of blood, but I don't feel like it would be, well, I mean, 
again, I don't know, but I don't feel like it would be, <laughs> you know, tenebrae levels of uh, no. crimson everywhere. No. Or it's pressurized human beings like we see yeah. in Japan. I could be wrong. I could be wrong about that, though. I like that how that after that scene, there's kind of the slow-mo with the stabbing and the water dripping. The sound design is really great in these two discs, too, we should say. Yeah, it really is. It works really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, there's, again, that fucking bromance moment. Back to back, bleeding. They light cigarettes. I mean, that's as macho as it gets. Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, also as John Woo as it gets. <laughs> oh, is it ever? And if just, you like John Woo, then you should probably check out Retaliation. You totally should, because these films had to have informed him to a degree, right? Other than Melville, uh, you know, alongside Melville and everyone else. And I love the line: "I didn't expect that they were going to be so de- such deceitful bastards." Yeah. And it's almost <laughs> such a dry sort of comedic moment. He said, "What do you expect? They're yakuza." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. It is a funny. It is a funny moment. It's, it's a great moment. It's, it's, it's like a really funny way to kind of end it. And evidently, that house they shot it at was the uh, the old emperor during World War II, I think. His his house. Oh, wow. Uh, at least that's what I think. And from some of the special features I did get around to watching. So. Very cool. It's pretty crazy. The finale is pretty badass. I mean, it it's, is. Yeah, it's very badass stuff. Uh, I don't have a whole lot more to add. Uh, again, the, there's, there is a, I like this. There's a surgery scene that's interesting. It's almost shot kind of fetish-like. Like, you know how the Japanese yep. can be kind of, uh, you know, fetishist. Not not that any other, not more so than any other culture, but I always feel like Japanese, when they get into fetishes, they really go full tilt. Sure. Um, and this one kind of feels like that moment because, I mean, the, the kind of surgical stuff is kind of shot almost uh, pornographically. Not that there's a lot of insertion or something like that I'm talking about. I'm just talking about how it kind of lingers on uh, some... Uh, some medical implements and some uh, some mask and stuff, uh, some things, and not to talk about the character because obviously I don't want to give that away. But yeah, very interesting stuff. Yeah, I really like the bromance. I wanted more of that bromance. Actually, yeah, I kind of wish it would have gotten started sooner, and I wish it would have been more. But again, this is early in the genre, so I think you you'll you'll see more of that stuff come out with you know John Woo and stuff later, and Fukusaku and stuff. You'll see that stuff come around even more so in the future of Japanese and Chinese cinema and Asian cinema in general, I should say, mm-hmm. you'll see more of that kind of come around uh, later on, but it's, it's kind of the, some of the stuff's here in the beginning. Um, there's a, uh, I can't remember if it was this one or the first one, forgive me for saying that back. I can't remember. Maybe, maybe it was the first one. Uh, I can't remember. I'm not even going to bring that up because I might be wrong, but it was a car chase or something on sand and they kept going back and forth. It might've been the first one. Well, that might have been this one. I can't remember. Do you know what I'm talking about? Nah, <laughs> never mind. It's not worth. It's not worth the. <laughs> it's not worth the effort to kind of look at that much. Uh, this disc also, yeah, like I said, it, it does sound great. The music's good. The, it, it looks really good. Uh, I preferred the look of Massacre Gun more, but again, uh, I feel like that's a more stylish type film. I feel like this film's got a style, but it's a little bit more, like I said, gorilla, a little bit more breathless type. Yeah, it totally is. Not French breathless. I'm talking about just, you know, breathless, like, you know. But in a he, way, in a way, kind of French breathless, in a way. Yeah, it's very urgent. Hell, it's some, urgent yeah, and, yeah uh, very urgent in some ways. Casual. And, yeah. And I like those elements and stuff. And it's pretty nasty. I mean, it's, you know, both of these films for their time period and stuff, they're pretty, they're pretty nasty films mm. as far as uh, human beings and what they do to each other and what we get to see. So really good genre stuff. I'm, I'm really glad they picked these up because i got to be honest with you. Outside of uh, Female Prisoner uh, 701 and that kind of stuff, I really, and some of the other pink-type stuff, Yeah, I don't really know anything about this guy's films. I mean, so little that last week when we talked about it, we, you know, we're like, I don't even know if he's ever been on the show before. 
And we're yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's been on the show. But, you know, that that's a whole other genre that he might be even more known for, really. I feel than like these oh, films, yeah. it feels like. I feel like Japanese film uh, and Asian film is underrepresented with North American labels sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's so prolific and so important to films culture uh, that it's nice to see them put these films out. Yes. Other than sort of, you know, your, um, I know Masters of Snow does a good job sometimes. and uh, but Yeah, but see- I mean, a lot of people are going to release, <clears throat> I mean, do we need another release? Of, and of course we probably do, but do we need another release of, you know, Battles of Iron Humanity again? <laughs> It needs to be do we need another release. Needs to come uh, back. Yeah. I mean, do we need a release of all these films that we know? We need stuff like this. An arrow yeah, no, nailed. We need stuff they, that we don't know. Uh, yeah. Now maybe there's the the diehard film fan, Japanese film fan, Yakuza film fan, uh, who knows these films and stuff. But I got to be honest with you, before Arrow picked these up, uh, the only way I would have known of these films is kind of browsing through a filmography. Yeah. No. I've I mean, never really heard anybody talk about either one of these films. No, it's true. No, no, nor have I. Nor have I. And I'm glad they did, finally. Mm-hmm. Glad we yeah. did. Yeah. So yeah. Okay, very cool. Very cool. Um we are it looks like that's it. That's the big show. No, wait, we got to do our MVTs and make a break there. Oh, that's right. It's not Dare the big bite. show. It's not the big show. <laughs> um It's the big show. It's <laughs> not like that guy in the master gun, no, no big show. <laughs> <laughs> I got kind of reminded me of uh, you know that kind of money of Rocky um, Rocky John no 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 Rocky Roberts I think it was he was a again African American gentleman worked in the war hit it big as a singer in Italy a crooner he actually did a few spaghetti western um, he, did, he sang this song for he actually sang Django he's oh yeah, sing, yeah Rocky anyway I can't Django remember. you look up Rocky Django. yeah he's he's you know interesting dude. Um, Every time I hear that song, I think it's um. Yeah, oh, totally, man. <laughs> and Paul Taggart thereby. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the Zom is the Django of West Virginia. He is the Django of West Virginia. <laughs> uh, my make or break is I love the ending. I think the ending's great. Yeah, we're in agreement on that. The finale is worth the wait, is what I said. It is worth the wait. Um, my MBT is the bromance. The I'm last one was trying. kind of the brothers and everything else, which was great. But I went with more of the style of this one. The mm-hmm. style of this we've seen in other films from Japan, but I love the bromance. I love seeing Shishida with his kind of his hair down and not overly styled, and like you said, or like we've often said on the show, a lovable douchebag. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, it's 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 a hard character to pull off, but if you can pull it off well, it's a memorable character, right? And really, it's an isn't it really the odd couple? I mean, you have. Yeah. Kind of Jack Lemon is Joe Shishido and you know, Walter Matthaus, the gruff kind of more silent, um, much more serious, uh, you know, much more serious counterpart to him, right? right. So yeah, <laughs> you know, I think it works really well. So and my score is uh, seven point five. My scores are the same, but I just you know kind of prefer this one. Okay, but, but they're I think they're both you know solid, solid films. All right. I thought maybe you'd be 7.75 on this. one. I toyed with it. I toyed with it, but I think this one there's a little bit of the farm stuff which. I like that they go for the monotony and the mundane kind of day-to-day stuff, but I also feel like it loses a bit of propulsiveness in doing that. Yeah, I like, I should say this, I like the scope of the movie. Yeah. But I almost feel like it opens itself up too broad. Yeah. And yeah. there's a great storyline in there with just the Shishido and the lead character and just maybe one gang or whatever. I mean, it really opens itself up, and then you get this whole farming angle and real estate and land. And I mean, I understand why all that stuff's there, but it, it feels like it almost... Like, it's a little too open. Mm-hmm. And I understand why it's there, because some things that happen with the character involving the farm and whatnot. But 
I feel like they could have still done that and not had as much of it as they did. So, uh, yeah, my make or break same thing. Finale, it's worth the wait. Uh, my MVT, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say the the I'm gonna go with the bromance too. I had the lead actor down at first. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Sorry. Um, but uh, I had to leave that. But uh, but I also had Shishido down there as well, and I really liked him in this film as well. That this is a great one-two punch from him, for sure. And that other guy that plays uh, the brother in this, he was in both films too, right? So yeah. Um, so actually, there's a lot. Uh, of, we're talking uh, about Kira Kobayashi. The uh, there's a lot of the same. There's a couple of uh, some of the background gangsters are some of the same gangsters in the other film too. Yeah. Oh no. So, well, of course. Yeah, we get to, to Tetsuya Fuji in this one as Shinjo again. So yeah. Uh, my score is the same as yours, 7.5. Nice. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I mean, it's good. I, I Like I said, I think I prefer Massacre Gun a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But, again, by .25 we're talking oh, here. Yeah. So this is a really solid one-two punch, unless you got busted hands. There, bye. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> then you got to play them cymbals. <laughs> yeah. While the Sammy's finger. in the corner, fingering his butthole, going, the, fin- oh, yeah. the finger cymbals, there, bye. <laughs> yeah. Chimes yeah. at midnight, there, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Those timp- timpani, you can symbol whatever the they call them. Man. <laughs> Getting heavy on the timpani, man. I'm making my sound so the pepper, the the pepper shaker shows up. Uh, Todd Pepper Shaker. <laughs> I was almost at his last name. <laughs> pepper Shaker TC, man. <laughs> yeah, we've went off the rails. That's right. Well, it's midnight, so our carriage has turned into a pumpkin. Yeah, really. the witching hour. The witching hour. That's right. The shaking hour. <laughs> <laughs> the seasoning hour. <laughs> the, the seasoning hour. <laughs> Amazing. We're almost done, so it's time for this. It's time for this noise. Ready? There we go. There it is, man. That long inseam. <laughs> almost done. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> All right. My pants so. zip from the ankle to the crotch. There, That's baby. right, man. Uh, it's not my fault. They're made a parachute. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is the big show. Next week is going to be a massive show where we cover seven films from seven brothers and seven brides for seven sisters. And yeah, next week's a big experiment for us. We'll see what happens. We don't really know what's going to happen, so I want to be forthright in getting that out there now. Experimentation upon the U.S. nation. <laughs> We're going to see what happens. we got uh, a backlog of some stuff that we need to cover. Uh, from Vincent Syndrome. Yeah. yeah, Vincent. So I don't know if you want to mention all the titles or not, if you got them all right sure. now. In front of you. Our good friend Ghetto Tim is excited we're covering Super Soul Brother. I think he told nice. us to wash our asses or something. Uh, okay, can't Little, wait. <laughs> Little Miss Innocence and Teenage Seductress. Um, if memory serves, though, are, those are sort of drive and expectation films. Mm-hmm. Little Sisters and Powder Burns, which um, are Alex Dorenzi films, you know. Uh, much love auteur of the skin flick um our good friend um and and thespian john holmes uh, with a double deuce of his cast the new erotic adventures of casanova one and two yeah so it's like be, casanova jr yeah. i've never seen these casanova films well at least i've never I seen the full film <laughs> <laughs> never seen the full films i may have seen some clips at some point yeah that's right that's right, man. So that's going to be it. It's going to be interesting. I uh, can't wait to see, see you all back here next week. And uh, with that, there's one thing left to say. Yes. Adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 